Bet the game. Sounds crazy, Frank. <laughs> Maybe just crazy enough to work. Sports betting within Oregon Lee. Powered by Sports Radio 750, The Game, Portland's most listened to sports station. You probably won't say it again. I bet I do. Okay. Chris. Now, here are your hosts, Judah Newby and Zach Schlegel. Welcome into another edition of Bet the Game podcast on sports betting with an Oregon lean powered by 750 The Game. I'm Chuda Newby. He is Zach Slagle. Yes, sir. Another jam-packed weekend of college football and NFL action in front of us. Zach, how'd last week go for you? Pretty good for me, Jude. It went pretty well. Uh, NFL 2-1, and one, so 8-1 and one in the last three weeks in the NFL. Can't complain with that. That's, that's straight fire. Yeah. That's straight fire. Do you ever encounter a little bit of... Maybe not fatigue, but resistance this time yeah. of year. Now that you get really deep into it, late October and then November. How yeah. does that work? No, no, you're right. Because I, um, I, it's almost like I get a little bit nervous when I go on a heater like this. Yeah. Because it's like, how long can this really last? You know, you're going to eventually hit a dry spell. You're going to get cold. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But we're going to ride this wave as long as we can. And I'm here for it as well. Zach's been hot. Let's ride that wave. We got Friday Night Lights at Razor Stadium. Handful of other Pac-12 games. Of course, Oregon on bye coming after their big win over USC. We'll also hit on a trio of big top 25 matchups highlighted by LSU and Alabama, Minnesota and Penn State as well. We'll get into a little bit of college football playoff odds and discussion. The first rankings of the college football playoff were unveiled this week. And uh, so we'll discuss that. And of course, offer our NFL best bets and plays. But Zach, let's get right after it with a Friday night affair. There wasn't any Friday night Pac-12 football last week. It comes back this week, and it's local here in Corvallis where the Oregon State Beavers meet the Washington Huskies. Washington, it's been a disappointing year for them, not really competing for the Pac-12 title anymore. They've had key losses at home to Cal, at Stanford, home to Oregon. Now they're coming off a bye week and and home to Utah. And now they're coming off a bye week and laying 10 points on the road against an Oregon State team coming off consecutive road wins with a bye week sandwich in there as well. Minus 10 for Washington, a total of 65 at Reeser Stadium. Is that just disrespect for Oregon State, or is that a good place to put the line just based on physical matchups in this game? I think based on what we've seen this year, it is a little disrespectful because Oregon State has really played above expectations all year. I mean, Vegas gave them that two and a half win total. They're already at four. They're they're looking at a bowl game right now. They need two more wins to be bowl eligible. So I think it... It's a little bit disrespectful, but at the same time, Washington, you know, they've dropped back-to-back games against Utah and Oregon, and those are the two best teams in the conference, and now they're going up against Oregon State, and they've won the last seven in a row against Oregon State. So Oregon State looking to break that streak. Now, looking at a little bit of the, the betting perspective here, as we do like to discuss, Judah. <laughs> we are uh, known to do that from time to time. <laughs> Uh, Oregon State has been a double digit three times this year. They're one and two against the spread. The one cover that they had was an outright win against Cal. Uh, and Cal was a different team in that game. Devon Modster, enough said How right there. How is Devon Modster laying double digits? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So 
Honestly, my question to you is, you know, how good is Washington? Their best win, probably against USC, right? 28-14 to 14 at home. I think that really is their best win of the year. So I don't even know how good they are. But what I do know is that the Washington offense was able to put up 31 against Oregon and 28 against Utah's defense. And those are two pretty good defenses in that conference, probably the two best defenses in the conference. Oregon State defense significantly worse. They're allowing 32 and a half points per game. So when I look at this matchup, um, even though Oregon State is riding a wave, I have to lean on Washington here because, yeah, they've won seven in a row. They've put up big points against some of the best defenses in the conference. And Oregon State, well, they really just don't have that great of a defense. They've performed well so far. But on the defensive side, I think they struggle in this game. I think Washington gets that offense going. Uh, My only concern is how up are they for this game again because they're out of the Pac-12 championship uh, picture at this point. I kind of like Washington's team total over 37.5 as well. I think that might be my favorite play. I think Washington puts up points, but I also lean on them to lay the 10. Yeah, you trust Chris Peterson to get his team right after a bye, after a couple of uh, tough um, losses at home to Pac-12 North contenders. Just strictly from a personnel and matchup, Uh, spot here for the Huskies advantage Washington you can't ignore that I do find it interesting that it it just so happens I like Oregon State's just spots better on the road than I do at home yeah yeah it's manifested itself in the results but it's just a little ironic generally you'd look at oh here you go you get a is this a live home dog on a Friday night but man every time Oregon State's been at home whether it's been that Utah game or uh, whether it was even the Stanford game I didn't feel great about them and we were going back and forth about that game earlier that ended up on a push uh, with a third string quarterback but um, you know, I liked them at Arizona. I liked them at UCLA. Even even Cal, I didn't really like him as much then but it's been odd that the Beavers spots have been more favorable in road games this year than than at home games. Road Warriors, yeah. I'll always remember, the Beavers on Friday night at Reeser, they won outright against Arizona State in the game, I think it was a Berkovici game a few years ago. Mm. Uh, and there is a certain magic, and with the momentum Jonathan Smith has built there, I could see why people would want to take the Beavers, but I'm with you. I'm not quite there. You like the over 37.5. I do. I've seen that thing go from minus 110 to minus 130, so it looks like oh, people agree. On the Washington team total yep. going over. All right, let's get some quick strikes right mm-hmm. here on a couple of other Pac-12 games. Starting with another home dog, Mel Tucker and the Colorado Buffaloes getting an extra three and a half points against Stanford with a total at 56. Yeah, the last time these two teams met, 2016, a weird game. It was 10-5 Colorado. I don't even remember that game. I, I don't know if oh, you... I, yeah, I, do, do you I, I think that? that was at the end of the year, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. That's just such a strange... You never see that I thought in Colorado went to the uh, Pac-12 title game that year. It was October... Oh, it was. October 22nd, 2016. Colorado beat Stanford. Uh, 17th ranked Colorado had 10 points. 12th ranked Stanford had 5 points on the farm. <laughs> and that, yeah, that's Unbelievable. incredible. What a game. What yeah. a barn burner. What a barn burner. Hopefully this one's a little bit more exciting. But, you know, Colorado, they've dropped 5 in a row since beating ASU on the road. So... They're kind of they're kind of on the downtick right now. We saw them in their Super Bowl game, right, on that Friday night against USC. They failed to capitalize in that game. And then against UCLA, we called it last week, UCLA ran all over them. So I was all over the Bruins in that game. 
I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on Stanford in this one, Judah. Um, Stanford hasn't been much better themselves, but they have some pride. And KJ Costello returned last week. Um, he 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 performed very well against Arizona. Uh, that's a bad Arizona defense, but Colorado's defense is not much better. In fact, they may be worse. Cameron Scarlett ran for 100 plus yards, two touchdowns. I expect another big game from KJ Costello. Cameron Scarlett, I think the Stanford offense continues to get it rolling with their guys back. The line movement speaks for itself. It opened at Colorado, a pick, and now they're a a three-and-a-half-point dog. Lay the points with the Cardinal. Another one, another home dog, and we just mentioned Monster, but Cal is getting seven-and-a-half at home to Washington State, a total at 52. We know Cal cannot score, but they have a talented defense that fights for everything, and we like Justin Wilcox. Can they cover seven and a half at home against the Cougars? I think it's unlikely, but because it's in Berkeley and because Cal's in kind of in a dis- desperate situation, and I like Wilcox, I think I'm a little concerned about it. And this isn't a game that I'm going to run to the the you know the the counter to bet. But look at Cal; they're averaging 17 points a game, 10th worst in the nation. Washington State, we know the best passing offense in the nation; they're averaging 42 points per game. That's eighth best in the nation. How good is this Cal defense? Well, they're allowing 212 passing yards per game. Mm. That's pretty good. Washington State is going to be their biggest test here. Cal's now dropped four in a row since they beat Ole Miss on the road. Wow. And since Chase Garbers went down, this Cal team has not been the same. Monsters throwing just 46%, only two touchdowns, three picks since taking over. They've already lost to ASU and Oregon State at home. I have no faith in Monster. I think Washington State carves them up in this game. So I'm going to go ahead and lay the points. And uh, in Tempe, you got Herm Edwards in Arizona State. They are favored by only a point and a half at home against USC. Total is 57 and a half. Now, the one and a half catches my eye. I say only. Maybe it's more perceptual than anything, but... Arizona State's impressed me numerous weekends. Mm -hmm. USC has also in part, but forgive me for recency bias. They jumped out to a 10-0 lead early against Oregon. Looked like they were going to give Oregon all they could handle. And boy, did the Trojans, I know they're really banged up. They got sloppy. And Slovis made some key mistakes. The pick six, definitely on him. The red zone turnover, definitely on him. Now they have to go to Tempe to take on a really tough Hard-nosed ASU team. It feels like a spot Jaden Daniels could could maybe uh, maybe shine a little bit. Where do you stand on ASU laying a point and a half with a total at fifty-seven and a half against the Trojans? I think this should be a great game, Judah. Um, the first time USC faced Arizona State with Herm Edwards was last year in 2018, and he broke a three-game losing streak to the Trojans. So that's very good news for ASU. Let's see if they can build a win streak of their own against the Trojans. You mentioned Jaden Daniels. He's been kind of on a roller coaster this year. He's been good, really good at times. Other games, he's been really bad. And if you look at the box scores for his past like five or six games, it, it literally goes great game, bad game. Great game, bad game. And I don't know where we stand at this point. I forgot if he had a good or a bad game last game. But um, it, it's very rocky, and he is a freshman, and you got to expect that, right? A uh, couple, couple notes here on this game. The last game for ASU against uh, UCLA, they lost 42-32. to 
You know, UCLA was up 42-10 to 10 at the end of the third quarter in that game. Wow. Crazy. I mean, UCLA is one of the most improved teams in the country, I think, this season. Chip Kelly, credit to him and what they've been able to do so far this year, building on that program. And it wasn't so long ago that they really got owned at home by Oregon yeah. State. I mean, the improvement is really over the last, like, three games, I feel like, for the Bruins. But it's been there, for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then... On the USC side of things, they're not technically out of the Pac-12 South race uh, because they beat Utah head-to-head. The thing is they're going to need Utah to drop a game, and I think that's unlikely, and, and USC is going to need to win out. So you know USC is going to be somewhat motivated to obviously continue to win games in case Utah does drop a game because then they could slide into that Pac-12 championship conversation right there. Uh, Slovis, you mentioned him as well. Uh, he's been he's been great. He was great heading into the U of O game, but I said Oregon was the best defense he was going to face. Um, he's coming off of two games prior to that that were against the worst defenses in the nation. He threw three interceptions last last game against Oregon, completed just fifty six percent of his passes. That was the worst performance of the season. Now the strength of USC is in their wide receiver group: Michael Pittman Jr., Tyler Vaughns, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Drake London, all those guys. Right. The great news for ASU is that they beat Washington State's passing attack. They won 38 to 34. The bad news is that Gordon still threw for 466 yards, three touchdowns, all to different receivers actually. So he's been spreading the ball out. Four receivers in that game at 70 plus yards. So USC, we know. They like to throw the ball, but the thing is they're going to have to have some balance in this game against ASU because ASU has a top 25 rushing defense. So if ASU is able to stop USC's run game, force them to pass, again, the good news is that they've already stopped the best passing offense in the nation in Washington State. ASU, they've been on the road the last two games. They return home for me. I think it's hard to see Herm Edwards drop three games in a row. I think this ASU squad is too good. I think Jaden Daniels, as a freshman, like he's like I said, he had a rocky season so far. But I think at home he does it. He he does enough in this game, and I think the ASU defense does enough to force Slovis to throw the ball and to win the game by himself. And I don't think he's able to do it. I like the small number with ASU. As you're laying the point and a half. All right, we'll talk college football playoff discussion here in a moment, but uh, let's first talk about some key top 25 matchups, and we'll, we'll start with Minnesota and Penn State. There was some clamoring for this to be a nationally televised primetime game. We won't have that be the case, but still a really good one when uh, the Golden Gophers take on Minnesota. Right now this line is plus seven in, in favor of Penn State, laying seven on the road as the fifth-ranked team in the AP poll, the fourth-ranked team in the college football playoff, the Nittany Lions at 8-0, visiting P.J. Flex, undefeated Minnesota Golden Gophers. Penn State minus 7 on the road with a total at 47.5. Zach, I know that you're not a huge Minnesota believer or fan, at least. You weren't in the preseason. You liked their under-on-the-win total. <laughs> they've come through, and uh, they've beat up on a pretty, pretty weak schedule so far. But they haven't lost yet, and now they're coming home in the biggest game of the year. Should be a lot of fun, 9 a.m. on ABC. Have they won you over at all, and, and to what degree? And then how do you see Penn State laying the seven in, in the Golden Gophers' place? 
Well, as the Raiders say, just win, baby. And that's been their motto all year, all year long. But you're right. Minnesota has had probably the easiest schedule in all of college football. I think it's right up there with Alabama, apparently, according to uh, some sources. But Minnesota... You're yeah, all, you're all sourced up on your schedule, straight, straight <laughs> schedule. Nice, yeah. all sourced up. Yeah, Minnesota. To their credit, they are undefeated. Uh, but Penn State here is just flat out the better team, man. And you know, I don't mind waking up at 9 a.m. and watching this game. Uh, you know, it, maybe it should have been a primetime game, but I think there's a reason it's not a primetime game, and I think it's because Penn State takes it to them here in this one. Ooh. I love, <laughs> I love PJ Fleck. Don't get me wrong. And they're going for their first undefeated season since 1941. I'm sorry to say it's not going to happen, PJ. But, but you know, congratulations. Your team has done well this season. And, and look back. Flex turned Western Michigan around. They went from a 111 season in 2013 all the way to 13-1 and in 2016. Uh, now he's taken Minnesota from 2-7 and in the conference in 2017 to now 5-0. and in the conference currently, and he just signed a seven-year contract extension this week through 2026, a salary increase of a million dollars from this season to the next season. That's so, that Florida State leverage right there. Yeah. So Minnesota has some great things going. I think they're in great hands with P.J. Fleck. Let's look at their last five games. 40-17 to against Illinois, 34-7 to against Nebraska, 42-7 to against Rutgers, 52-10 to against Maryland. Sheesh, I mean, none of these games are even close, but are any of those teams really that good? That's the question, and I don't think they are. So Penn State's been playing better competition. This would be a signature win for Minnesota, but I, like I said, I love Penn State. Sean Clifford, the freshman, he's been extremely accurate the last three games. Or Sorry, he hasn't been that accurate in the last three games, but he's been good overall in the season. His last three games, he's only thrown 55%, but he's thrown for eight touchdowns and only one pick in wins against Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State. And I think Iowa, Michigan, and Michigan State are a little bit better on defense than Minnesota, even though, Judah, when you look at the defensive rankings, Minnesota currently ranks 13th in total defense, but again, has a lot to do with their schedule and who they're facing because Minnesota, the best offense they've faced this season is, guess who? Fresno State. So, I mean, if Fresno State is the best offense you've faced so far this season and you barely got by them in double overtime, 38-35, to that's the closest they came to a loss this season, I don't think they stand a chance against this Penn State offense, even though they, they can do some things offensively themselves. Running back Rodney Smith, he's a senior. He's rushed for 100 yards in five straight games. But Penn State, on their defensive side, one of the best rushing defenses in the country, second in stuff rate. They allow 68 yards per game, only two yards per carry. They've only allowed five touchdowns all season. So guess what, Judah? I'm going Penn State minus seven. And I love Penn State team total over 27 and a half. There he is. You heard it from the man himself. Wisconsin is laying nine at home against Iowa with a small total at 38. Now, I know where where we're (laughs) sniffing with this one, but uh, man, it's almost you either love these types of football games or you hate these types of football games, but it's going to be a lot. It's going to be interesting regardless when you get similarly styled teams, Wisconsin and Iowa, together on the same field. But that's a big number for the Badgers. And the most recent memory we have of them is 
and not looking so good against yeah. Ohio State. Right, right. And we were on the right side of that one. At least I was. You know, Ohio State crushed them. And uh, Wisconsin got a little piece of humble pie right there. In this matchup, it's, again, one of those fairly big spreads, very low total, classic uh, classic Big Ten matchup, right? November cold. And this just screams first half under to me, Judah. And I don't care that screams it's 19. It. It's yeah. screaming it. It's like on the top of a we're on the top of a mountain screen. First half under. And uh so <laughs> play so, uh, the under. <laughs> so I'm definitely looking first half under just just because this is Big Ten football and it's in Wisconsin and it's gonna be cold and it's Iowa and it's Wisconsin and it's two running football teams and I love it. And the under is six and two in Wisconsin games this season. It's six one and one in Iowa games this season. So that's looking pretty good uh trend wise. Iowa's only given up just 10 points per game this season. That's the lowest average under Kirk Ferentz, under his 21-year tenure. Wow. They've only allowed nine touchdowns this season, second in the nation. Now, Paul Christ, during his tenure for Wisconsin, this guy is 11-2 after a loss. So we know Wisconsin prepares well after a loss. They usually bounce back in these types of games. Jonathan Taylor has had success against Iowa in his last two games facing him. 54 carries, really getting a load. 270 yards, but he hasn't scored a touchdown yet against Iowa. I got a feeling, Judah, he does in this one. Now, Iowa's only allowed just two rushing touchdowns all season. So, it's going to be a tough task for Jonathan Taylor. It's going to be a tough task for both offenses. I see this game being pretty slow, being really sluggish. A lot of runs, a lot of a lot of punts, maybe some field goals. Um, ironically, Iowa's quarterback Nate Stanley is actually leading the Big Ten in passing yards this season. Like he's he's better than any Big Ten quarterback, two hundred and forty three yards per game. But we know again, Wisconsin's defense is really good. Wisconsin's been the favorite Judah in seven games this season, and they've covered five of them. The only two games they failed to cover as a favorite was against Northwestern and against Illinois. Both of those games came after big games against Michigan and Michigan State. So, long story short, I think Wisconsin is awake for this one. Iowa's been a dog twice this year. They're 0 for 2 against the spread in those situations. Big Ten matchup in November. I'm going first half under, and I'm going Wisconsin laying the nine. Play the under. And the last one for college football. What a big, big game in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and LSU. You got uh, the number two ranked team in the college football playoff, LSU. Number three ranked team in the playoff in Bama. And yet it's Bama that is not just a favorite, but a pretty healthy favorite at home against the Tigers. I know it opened around seven. I know six and a half has been a dominant number. Right now we're seeing six for Alabama against LSU with a total at 62 and a half. LSU's offense is so dynamic. Defensively, they don't have the same name power that they've had in the past. They'll be without Michael Divinity, one of their linebackers in this game. He left the team for personal reasons. This is Bama off a of bye week. Bama with Tua likely ready to go, but maybe slightly hobbled. We remember how he looked last time he was slightly hobbled against Clemson in the title game. Where do you sit with Bama laying six at home against LSU? Oh man, what a game in Tuscaloosa! I'm so ex- I'm so excited for this one, Judah. Last season, Bama shut him out, twenty nine to nothing, 
And we know LSU, we know this is a different LSU team this year. I, I love this LSU team. I love Joe Burrow. Bama's won eight in a row against the Tigers. And in that span, LSU hasn't scored more than 17 points in any of those games. But again, that's the old LSU. That's the LSU that's mostly defensive dominant. They're going to just run the ball, like eye formation. <laughs> I mean, Leonard Fournette down your throat type of thing. They, they couldn't buy a quarterback for the life of them. But now they have a quarterback, and this guy is leading the Heisman race. Burrow, 78.8% completion, 2,800 yards. He's 90 away from surpassing his uh, yardage total from last season, so he'll do it in this game. 30 touchdowns through the air, four interceptions, a couple on the ground as well for Joe Burrow. So Joe Burrow has been putting together quite the season. Uh, His Heisman campaign continues to get better. Now, the biggest difference for this LSU offense is a guy by the name of Joe Brady. He's a 30-year-old, and he's a former walk-on wide receiver from William & Mary, who was a graduate assistant and a right-hand man to Joe Moorhead at Penn State, and then finally an offensive analyst for the New Orleans Saints before heading to LSU. Um, Orgeron brought in Joe Brady and kind of allowed him to blend his RPO and West Coast offenses to LSU, and Joe Burrow is a very happy man because they went from a two-receiver set to four wide, and now we've seen what happens. So I won't go too crazy on this Joe Brady guy, but all you got to do is go look him up, and you'll hear his story. It's an incredible story. But this guy has come in. They've trusted him, and he's really revolutionized this entire offense, kind of low-key, under-the-radar type of thing. Now, you mentioned Tua. We don't know if he's going to be at full strength, but we know he's going to be playing, and we know this guy is very, very good when he's on the field. The last two games that Bama played without him, well, they played part of that game with him, I guess, against was against Tennessee, and then he got hurt in the game. But both of those games, the total went under. Now, with him in the game and with Joe Burrow doing his thing, my initial thought was over, but then I remembered. I remembered this is two SEC schools that absolutely hate each other. I mean, this is just this is with the biggest rival rivalry I think in the SEC and I I see this game kind of the opposite the total opened at 63 it's now it went up to 64 64 and a half it was rising and now it's back down to 62 and a half so I think people are coming to their senses I think this game starts slow I think they feel each other out I don't think Joe Burrow necessarily has a lot of success right off the bat Uh, and I see both of these defenses having the majority of the success early in the game so that's why I like the first half under 31. I just think that's a that's a really, really high total for a first half in an LSU-Alabama game. I mean, again, remember last year it was 29 nothing. That was the entire game score. Um, but it is a different LSU offense. So I'm going back and forth with this. But I like LSU. So I like the under 31 in the first half. And if I have to take a side in this game, it's 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 like you never want to go against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. You never want to go against Nick Saban in Alabama, right? But I got to take the points with LSU. I just I really think this LSU team is different this year. Their defense is still great, and now they have a quarterback who's a Heisman Trophy candidate and and leading the race right now. So I'm going LSU plus two, or sorry, plus six. Screw it, plus two. 
Take the alternate. <laughs> <laughs> Play the under. On the first half and LSU catching six. Yep, go Tigers. On the road. That should be a lot of fun. All right, transitioning now, let's talk a little college football playoff and maybe with the rankings what some future and values could be. We, we did this briefly maybe about a month ago or so after Georgia lost to uh, South Carolina and you had mentioned how, how much of a value Georgia would be coming after that loss. Well, lo and behold, here we are. And almost predictably, uh, we saw some value opportunity right out of the gate. So Tuesday night, the first college football playoff rankings are released. Ohio State is number one. Kind of surprising in the eyes of some, given how they were more four and five in the AP poll, moved their way up to three. But turns out their strength of schedule is better than LSU's, apparently. And uh, the playoff committee didn't value Texas as much of a big win as it seemed on paper for the Tigers. So Ohio State's number one in the playoff rankings, LSU number two, Bama number three, Penn State number four, Dabo's undefeated, national reigning national champion Clemson Tigers are number five. Mm-hmm. And then you get the string of one-loss teams at six, seven, and eight, Georgia, Oregon, and Utah, Oklahoma at number nine as well. So when we shape this conversation, let's start with the team, say, like in the very top tier. You got Ohio State, which interesting. We're recording now, just past 10 a.m. Pacific time on a Friday morning. We got hit with news early this morning that Ohio State's best player, Chase Young, is facing indefinite suspension. He'll be out the Maryland game, and probably a couple of games after that, we'll see. But uh, for accepting a loan from a family friend mm, mm-hmm. earlier in his uh, in his college time in Columbus, so we'll we'll monitor that and see what impact that has on Ohio State moving forward. But of the of the teams in the top four, we know LSU Bama's coming up. We know Penn State Ohio State is coming up later on as well. Is there any team in there that strikes you as being more vulnerable than the other to eventually fall out of the top four? And get, who's the first team to yeah. give way to Clemson? Really, and oh, I guess yeah. it depends on Saturday. Well, the most vulnerable team is Penn State because. When they come up against, well, they're going against Minnesota this weekend, as we know, an undefeated team. And I do think Penn State takes care of business there. But obviously, that's going to be a tough task on the road against a really, really um, excited team to be undefeated. You know, Minnesota didn't expect that. So Penn State's very vulnerable because I do think they lose to Ohio State. And I, I don't think that that game is... Maybe as close as people think it is. And the committee didn't take any risk in putting Clemson at number five because really they know that these teams are going to beat up on each other in the top four because, like you said, Bam LSU this week and Ohio State, Penn State's coming up. And, you know, those teams, two of those teams are going to lose a game. It's going to happen, you know, if not multiple games. So Clemson's going to be in. As long as they just win out, take care of business, Clemson is an absolute lock to make the playoff. You can't keep them out if they're undefeated, reigning national champs, ACC champs, right? The only way they are out of the playoff is if they lose a game, so they control their own destiny. So Penn State, the most vulnerable team. Ohio State, in the eyes of the committee, was the most balanced, the most dominant team overall, and they have three Heisman Trophy candidates you mentioned Chase Young. That really, really hurts them. But they got Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins, who are also Heisman candidates right now. And that's unbelievable to have three on the same team. What really hurt LSU was Texas not performing to the caliber we thought they would. Right. So now that Texas is kind of dropping off LSU, that hurts uh, the quality of their win right there. 
What I'm scared about, Judah, for Oregon is if this LSU-Alabama game is really tight and the loser ends up finishing the season with one loss and they don't go to the SEC championship game, but the committee still thinks they're better than Alabama. I mean, I think the committee's learned their lesson there, and I think the committee wants to have one team from four of the major conferences. They want to have a team out of the SEC. They want to have Clemson. (laughs) They want to have a team out of the Big Ten, and they want to have a team out of the Pac-12. They clearly value the Pac-12, or they they gave more respect to the Pac-12 than the Big 12 this season, putting Oklahoma back at number nine. So I think the Big 12 is out, in my opinion. I don't know about you on that one, but I think the Big 12 is, I mean, they would need an absolute miracle ahead of them. There would have to be some chaos that would unfold to allow Oklahoma to get back in the playoff. But that, that Kansas State win over Oklahoma I mean, that really opened the door for Oregon right now. And I think, well, let's let's talk, Jude, a real quick best scenario for Oregon yeah. to make the playoff. Um, the best scenario, in my opinion here, for Oregon to make the playoff is Ohio State needs to beat Penn State convincingly. They need to, they need to, it doesn't need to be like a, like an absolute blowout, but they need to win the game and there needs to be no doubt that Ohio State is a better team than Penn State so that Penn State can fall below Oregon. And and again, when you lose late in the season, that's going to hurt you a lot worse than losing your opener like Oregon did. So Oregon is in a very good position right now. The Alabama LSU game this weekend, we we can't really afford that game to be close like I mentioned. One of these teams needs to win convincingly. And I'm not sure who I would prefer in that game or in that conversation because if Bama loses the game, I mean, we've seen it before. Bama's gone into the playoff as, you know, a non... They didn't win their conference championship, and yet they still made it into the playoff before. And they won the title. And they won the title that year. Yeah, exactly. That was uh, that was when they lost to Georgia, right? In the yeah. SEC. Yeah. Um, the other thing that needs to happen is Georgia needs to lose in the SEC championship to either Alabama or LSU. Because if Georgia, if Georgia goes in there and wins the SEC title game, they're in. You know, Georgia controls their own destiny like Clemson. Those are two teams that control their own destiny completely because Georgia wins the SEC. They have to be in over Bama or, or LSU. Um, and if Georgia if Georgia wins in that SEC championship game, what I fear is that the loser of that game might still get in over Oregon. So to wrap this up, Ohio State needs to beat Penn State convincingly. Alabama LSU game, one of the teams needs to win convincingly. Georgia needs to lose the SEC title, and Oregon needs to look impressive while beating Utah in the Pac-12 title. And I think if that all happens, Oregon's in, no question about it. And that Penn State-Ohio State game is coming up November 23rd, so two weeks away. Penn State's got Minnesota and then Indiana, Mm -hmm. and uh, Ohio State is going to be obviously dealing with Maryland and then Rutgers. That's two easy wins for them, and then they come home to host Penn State before going to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Oregon at seven, one spot ahead of Utah at eight. Oregon's single loss better than Utah's single loss. Oregon's obviously neutral site. Auburn week zero, week one, I guess. And yeah. uh, Utah's was a Friday nighter at USC and kind of a bizarre <laughs> Jack Fink yeah. uh, game there that uh, I may or may not have lost some cash on. But Utah only has like a 5.8% chance, according to ESPN's FBI metric, 
to make the playoff, where Oregon, just one spot ahead of them, is 25% chance yeah, yeah. to make the playoff. So it's, it's still there. Plus, I mean, I, I know Georgia being ahead of Oregon, that is a talking point. I may have brought that up a little bit on social media as well. I think Oregon's got a, a better resume overall than Georgia, whatever. Yeah. But just from a strictly talent perspective, I mean, Georgia's got four regular season games left on their hopeful path for them to the SEC East title and uh, the championship game of they the They play Auburn, right? It's a rivalry game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Georgia-Auburn every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one is in Auburn okay. next week. So they've got Missouri this week between mm-hmm. the hedges. So we'll see if, if Mizzou and Kelly Bryant and company. Kelly Bryant. But, so keep your eye on it. But yeah. then Auburn. Right, that goes two ways for the Ducks. A, you want Georgia to lose, and B, you want Auburn to keep winning. Mm-hmm. And so that's the game, November 16th. Root for Auburn to beat Georgia so that the Bulldogs, you know, they get Bologna, <laughs> and Auburn, you know, keeps looking as good as possible yeah. the week after Georgia hosts A&M as well. And so that's always a tough one, uh, too, but... Anyway, you got to keep an eye on both of those. And if you want to check out my dream fantasy scenario of how Oregon can make the number one seed in the playoff, just go to my Twitter at Zach Schlegel. I kind (laughs) of laid it out for you guys. I love it. It's wild. It's wild, man. Who is your, uh, like, just, you know, odds aside, just looking at these teams, college football fandom, who do you think is going to be in the top four at the end of the day? Okay. I think Clemson's in there because they went out. That's that's the lock, right? Yeah. Now with Chase Young out, that that just really that affects me now in my uh, predictions because now I'm kind of hesitant a little bit. He's so dominant on defense that when you take a guy like that out of the game, but I still got to think Ohio State gets in there. I think Ohio State, yeah, I think Ohio State runs the table here, and I think they get in. So okay. it's Ohio State, it's Clemson. Okay. Uh, let's see here, LSU, Bama. Well. The winner of that game, I believe, will be in. Yep. So the winner of that game. And then the fourth and final team here. Oh, my goodness, Judah. Uh, How about this? Do you think Georgia goes unbeaten into the SEC title game? Auburn or A&M slip up? I think they do. Yeah. I think they do. They, I think they, jo- they, they they lose or they win out. No, I think they win out. I think okay. Georgia goes to the SEC title game. Okay, and, and then I think I think it comes down to that. I think it really does. I think it'd it be co- a one loss Georgia mm-hmm. against an unbeaten to that point Bama or LSU. Exactly, exactly. And then in that game, we as Oregon fans are screaming and cheering and doing everything for in the our SEC will. West for the West. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we are we are praying <laughs> that the Crimson Tide or the Tigers take care of Georgia in that one because that if Georgia wins that Oregon's out. If they lose that Oregon's in. I think that's what it comes down to and, at the end of the day. And if you're Penn State, you're hoping that they get shellacked by Ohio State. Yes. And Oregon keeps going up too. Right, right. It sneaks into that four spot. And the interesting thing, I just have to make a comment again about how you mentioned Utah five percent chance to make it in whereas Oregon has 25 percent chance to make it in that seems like such a big discrepancy even though they're literally number seven and number eight and they're going to play each other as one lost teams in the conference championship game but it says a lot again about non-conference scheduling so I mean if anything this is proof right here of schedule some Good non-conference opponents, man. I mean, if you're if you're one of those top schools that are trying to compete for a national title, you just got to do it because Utah is hurting right now because of that.
Yeah, that, that's a, that's a good word. It's a good word. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. <laughs> Man, every time you just get me, <laughs> Judy, you get me. I tell you what, this is uh, this is what it's all about. Props to the Raiders winning last night on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, uh, where you know Autumn Bell's NFL Films music really just takes me back to uh, Silver and Black. And uh, it was a little 49ers, too. I know yeah. Foxborough for you. You mentioned that. But let's talk some NFL lines. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm looking at these, well, a lot of them for about the first time. Uh, and it's okay for the public. They don't need my input on a, on a lot of these lines right now. Uh, just the way it's been going for me. I went 1-2 and two with my plays last week. You went 2-1, and one, I believe. Yeah. With your plays. You've been good with the NFL. So let's keep that going. Our best bets going into already week 10. Double digits wow. of the NFL season. You have the T-Box. So, just a quick comment on last night's game, uh, Raiders Chargers here. So I'm listening. I'm listening to Bill Ryder, and he has this guy Kevin Todd come on every week yeah. to give his picks. And I'm so curious because I mean, this guy is. I mean, this guy's putting down a hundred racks. He's putting down a hundred k. Allegedly. Oh, allegedly. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's taking these screenshots. It's funny because I went on his Twitter, and, and I'm not trying to blow some smoke right now or do whatever, but cause some drama via Twitter. But yeah, I saw his little screenshot of he took the Chargers minus one and a half last night and it said for like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. I'm going, holy crap, man. But I look back at the other the other plays he made from those same Thursday night plays, because he does it every week, right? He goes, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a hundred grand on this pick and if I don't hit, then in you know, my picks are free for the year. All you have to do is call this number, blah, blah. Cool. The picks prior to that, I'm pretty sure like all of them hit, and last night it didn't hit, and I was like so curious to see if this thing would hit because I hadn't checked his like what his actual picks were in the past. I just heard him say, oh, "I got a great play tonight," and I never knew what the play was that night. Actually, last night I knew what the play was, and so when the Raiders scored that final touchdown, I'm going, "Oh my god!" And when they missed the extra point, I'm going, "Oh my god." The Chargers could still win on a field goal here, but he's still going to lose because he's got minus one and a half. So. Oh, he had a one and a half. All right, yeah. Unbelievable. Anyways, um, congrats to the Raiders. They're they're doing great this season, uh, above expectations with the whole A-B thing. John Gruden's got that team building. Carr doing his thing. They're in the playoff hunt. They're actually number seven. I think they're the seventh seed right now in the AFC, so just right outside. Wow. Yeah, awesome for them. Where's your first one? First pick uh, this weekend, week 10, I am going to the Arizona-Tampa Bay game. I feel like you're going to – I have a feeling you were looking at this one too. Yep, guilty. Because we we both – I feel like you've picked a lot of overs you know, this year so far, and this is just one of those overs. 52-and-a-half. Tampa Bay, the worst passing defense in the league. Actually, the Raiders were until last night, but they picked off Phillip Rivers three times. Should have been five. Uh, Arizona, the fourth worst passing defense in the league, and they're the third worst defense overall. They allow 407 yards per game. Tampa Bay allows 32 points a game, Arizona 28. So, yeah, I I think the offenses get it rolling. There's absolutely no defenses taking the field this weekend. Jameis Winston, you know, he's probably a, a decent fantasy option, as is Kyler Murray, and anyone on either of those offenses. So, fantasy... Experts out there, fantasy teams, start anyone on these offenses and take over 52 and a half. There it is. Uh, my first one will be the Saints to cover the big number against Atlanta. It's 13 and a half right now. I'll take New Orleans uh, to win and 
cover that big spread. I know Atlanta's coming off a bye. Uh, Dan Quinn's still there, though. And yeah. um, just, you know, it's 7-1 and one against 1-7. One and seven. Uh, Covered a big number last week playing Buffalo at home against Washington. So the number doesn't really scare me as much. And getting an extra half point off of 14, I think this gets out of control. I could see it being 40-24, 40-21. Uh, 37-21 type of game. Yeah. I like New Orleans uh, in a big way there with my first one. Yeah, Falcons are just tanking right now. I mean, they're going for a good draft pick. Yeah. My second pick here, uh, I'm going to go with the L.A. Rams laying three and a half at Pittsburgh. Rams running back Todd Gurley, he's eager to play this Sunday at Heinz Field for the first time. He was quoted saying, I grew up a Ravens fan. So I never liked the Steelers. I'm looking forward to it. It's like one of those places like Green Bay, Dallas, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. Those are like the main teams to start the NFL. Anyways, Todd Gurley, I I see sort of maybe a vintage Todd Gurley game. I think they get it going. I think you can't just have Jared Goff back there slinging the rock the whole game and rely on that pressure in his face. So I think Todd Gurley gets it going against Pittsburgh. Uh, we know Pittsburgh has been very suspect this season. Mason Rudolph, he's my guy, but he's still young. He's got a lot to a lot to build on. So I like the Rams minus three and a half here on the road. All right. Uh, I'll go ahead and, uh, man, it's a tough one, but not a whole lot of great stuff on the board. Actually, yeah. the Rams one was one I liked as well. Mm-hmm. But you know what? For the third week in a row, I'll back Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. They're coming back home for the first time since – the Raiders cover a few weeks ago. Uh, they were at KC in primetime. Then they were at LA. They were short road favorites both games. I got the short road cover against KC. I did not mm-hmm. get the short road cover at the LA Chargers. Now they're coming back home. Packers minus five and a half against the Carolina Panthers. You saw the Panthers up close and personal a couple of weeks ago when they played the Niners in the Bay. Um, I like Green Bay as a little bit of a get-right game for them. I do believe they are an elite football team with step back last week. means positive regression for them this week, covering they win by a touchdown against Carolina and Lambeau Field. I like it. Got to go with the uh, Got to go with the goats. Also, I'm pretty sure there is uh, snow in the forecast. Yeah, there was mm. snow at uh, at uh, in Lambeau Field earlier this week. And oh, I saw I'm that. seeing some snow clouds as well, okay. but it looks like it'll be 37 by game time, so okay. it might that, not materialize. Yeah, because that's something you got to look out for this time of year, obviously, especially yeah. in cities like that. What's the weather like? Snow, rain, sleet? Is it freezing cold, ice, whatever it is? And you got to consider that uh, when you're looking at these totals, especially. Now, my last pick, I, I was kind of struggling. I, I agree with you. I don't like a whole lot of things on the board here, but I think I just... Out of theory, Sunday night football and Monday night football are usually good under games, good first half under games. At least they have been in the past. And when I look at this Sunday night matchup with the Minnesota Vikings and the Dallas Cowboys, I like the under in the first half of this one. It's a nice juicy 24, a mm. couple touchdowns and a field goal. You know, I'd like to get that little hook there so I can get under 24 and a half. But I'm going under 24 in the first half. I think... Zeke Elliott gets the rock a lot here. Dalvin Cook, same thing. Minnesota on the road. So, you know, the passing offense isn't going to be lighting up the scoreboard, at least early in the game. Maybe they make some adjustments. Xavier Rhodes in that Minnesota Vikings defense, I think they play very well against Dak in that wide receiver core. Michael Gallup hasn't really impressed me too much. I was hoping I was going to see more out of him fantasy-wise. 
So I think the defense is shine in the first half. The running game gets going for both teams, and I like under 24 in the first half Sunday night football. My last one, uh, I'll take Cincinnati covering 10.5 at home to the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, the Bengals winless. This is not going to be a popular play, but just the dynamic of Baltimore off the big emotional win last week against New England, now going on the road, laying double digits. Um, you know, say what you will about Lamar Jackson. Hell of a player. Absolutely. There's no fade spot of him mm-hmm. as an individual talent, but it's more of just a spot play. And at, to be honest, at the end of the day, you just look at the board, not a whole lot ton you like in terms of teams and spots, but this is just a spot. I, I'll I'll go a little more sharp there and play the percentages and try to take Cincinnati covering 10.5 at home. What do you think, though, just as an extra one that's mm. kind of curious, is Cleveland struggling this year against a Buffalo team that's won a lot, Two and six Browns against six and two Bills, but it's Cleveland that's favored by three at home. It's crazy, man. I, a lot of people are saying they like the Browns in this game. Yeah, and maybe they're right. I'm not. I can't touch this game at all. I know the Bills' defense is really good. They're six and two on the year. That's great. The Bills are right there in the playoff conversation, uh, at least a wild card spot because they ain't winning the division. The Browns, though, it's just, man, I have so many things I could say about the Browns. We could be here for an hour, so I won't say everything. But I think I think in this game, the Browns, I think it's a good spot for the Browns, yeah. I think they're desperate. I think uh, Baker Mayfield, he's gotten enough la- uh, backlash in the media so far. Maybe Odell and Jarvis, maybe they mature a little bit here and they stop worrying about their shoes and Baker stops shaving at halftime and maybe Freddie Kitchens you know, has a good game plan. So... I think maybe, if anything, this is a good spot for the Browns. But overall, I think the Browns organization is just an absolute dumpster fire. And if I were running the organization, here's my hot take for you, Judah. I'd get rid of Kitchens. I'd get rid of OBJ. And then what I would do is I would hire John or Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> really? Michigan. Yeah. Michigan loses to Ohio State. This is my hot take. Michigan loses to Ohio State. They get absolutely wrecked again. Jim Harbaugh's out. He goes and he's hired by the Cleveland Browns in the offseason. And then he's in the same division as his brother. And then they bring in Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They draft Trevor Lawrence in two years. But that would be the move I would make if I were the Cleveland Browns. Wow. They would draft Trevor Lawrence and put Baker Jim Harbaugh and Trevor, Tre- uh, Trevor Lawrence. Amazing. Yes. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> you can probably get great odds on that. Yeah. All right. He's Axel Schlegel. I'm Judah Newby. Uh, we'll wrap this up here, and we'll come back again next week and uh, talk even more high stakes for college football and the playoff and the NFL. Yep. And uh, Seahawks-Niners Monday night. We can't I was going to say. That. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have a play on that because I think the line is perfect. To be honest, Russell Wilson, it's at six right now for the Niners. Even six and a half, I think, was fine. Couldn't have a play because I, I think the Niners are a better team. They're at home. And uh, just matchup-wise and personnel and scheme favors San Francisco in this spot in my opinion but it's Russell Wilson the dude just doesn't lose by more than one touchdown all that often he has a, a way of keeping his team in the game uh, but that D-line against Seattle's uh, O-line is going to be pretty tough that's a, that's a tough spot that's going to be a great game Jude I just can't wait and uh, I don't know if I can lay the points because I've seen it too many times with Russell Wilson and I'm a realist you know I'm not going to just take my team every game but I think this is a really, really close game. This is the toughest test all year for the 49ers, and I'm just really looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. You're a Niner fan. I'm a Seahawks fan. Yep. Uh, we'll enjoy it for sure. All right, Zach, good job, man. We'll do it again next week. We'll do it again next week.